Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, happy Father's Day for the fathers that are, are here. I'm excited to celebrate. It's my second Father's Day, um, so excited for that. Now, um, a couple weeks ago, we began our new sermon series. Pastor Matt just mentioned that. It's called Habits of Grace, Experiencing Christ Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And um, it's only been a couple weeks, but it has already been an amazing time seeing how Jesus has stirred up our hearts to consider our habits and the things um, that our habits entail, namely the things that we value and the things that we worship. Um, so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, this has been the thing that I, the common refrain, um, it's just the main goal or purpose of our meeting. So our goal for this summer is to experience Christ in his transforming grace as we um, look at the regular habits of our lives. Another way of saying that is if we are in love with Jesus and we are compelled by this gospel message that Jesus has lived for us and he has died for us and he was raised for us, then it follows that we are going to find opportunities in our lives to meet with him, to reflect on that, that message and to meet with our Savior. And it turns out that as we meet with him, as we begin to encounter him, we also begin to be transformed by him. I don't know if you guys remember that, but we talked a lot about that a couple weeks ago. This kind of functions in the same way that if you hang out with close friends, close family members, the more that you're around them, the more that you kind of start to pick up their mannerisms, the more that you start to think like them. In the same way that as we meet with Jesus, we begin to reflect his character in our lives. So last week, we began this topic of scripture intake, and we focused specifically on this idea of scripture study, and we went through a lot of uh, information. You guys took a lot of notes uh, last Sunday. Um, So the goal of last Sunday was, if what we are holding in our hand is the very word of God, then the practice of scripture study, or the habit of scripture study, is to get into the word of God and to figure out what it says. So there was kind of two um, steps for doing that. First, we figured out what it says in context. Second, we look at how that particular passage applies to Jesus, how it's more fully um, manifested in Jesus. But the question for us this morning as we do kind of part two of this scripture intake is what do we do once we have uncovered all of this information, right? We've been spending time reflecting on the scriptures. Many of you have read Galatians 1 through 6 this week and kind of gotten into the text. What do we do with all that information that we pulled up throughout the week? Well, the answer is that we let that information um, permeate our heart, um, transform our heart, through this process of scripture meditation. So that is the habit that we are focusing on today, the habit of scripture meditation. Now the truth is, information alone is not capable of transforming our hearts, right? There's study after study that's shown this. I know we probably have experienced this from life experience as well. Um, But study after study has shown this. So for example, in the 1990s there was a study That was done with uh, younger kids, kind of high school to college age. And they participated in this eight-year anti-smoking program. And so what they did is every year they met, and every year they learned about the detrimental effects of smoking, you know, things like lung cancer, heart uh, disease, and so on. And yet, it turns out that that group that learned all this information for eight years in a row, 
ended up having the same exact habits as the general population, right? They did not smoke any less than the others who had not been informed. That's a pretty shocking find, right? Because it tells us something about information. It tells us that information in and of itself is not capable of bringing transformation. You have these kids who for eight years were warned, they were instructed, and yet no meaningful change. And yet, I think that a lot of us, as we read the scriptures, as we spend time in the scriptures, have kind of felt a similar thing, right? We feel as if the scriptures are not taking a hold of us. We feel as if the scriptures are kind of just hitting hard soil. There's no transformation in our life. Perhaps the reason why is that we are not engaging in this habit of meditation. Because it's this habit of meditation that really allows us to push the truths of the scripture, to our heart in such a way that they well up out of us and are transforming us. So, for example, um, here's just one example of how this might play out. When you read the scriptures, you might learn something about God's love, right? You might, when you read Galatians, have read something about uh, Jesus' work for you on the cross. Um, But the difference is, Um, between knowledge and and truly understanding your heart is that you may know about God's love, but um, it's a totally different thing when you experience God's love and know that you are the object of his love. You experience it personally. You see the difference there, right? One is information out here. You know something about the world, maybe. That is true. The other is that you genuinely and deeply believe it. You are transformed by it. It changes your life in the way that you respond. And so as we look this morning um, at this particular habit of meditation, the goal is to see the scriptures drive our hearts in this way. And so this leads us to our first question. What is meditation? So um, I made this joke in the first service. They didn't laugh, but I said, I hope you guys brought your yoga pants. Um, And (laughs) I don't know if they didn't get it or they thought it was not funny. Um, Maybe both. But um, anyways, <laughs> so if you have your, your uh, scripture outline or your, your sermon outline, that is the first question this morning. What is meditation? I'm just joking. We're not going to uh, put on yoga pants this morning. Um, so when we ask this question, what is meditation, it kind of depends on who you ask. It depends on who you ask. Meditation actually has become increasingly popular in our culture. There's all sorts of flavors and varieties emerging And one of the most interesting parts of this trend, um, at least for me, is that there's actually noted atheists, people like Sam Harris, who are actually engaging in meditation and who are making guided meditations on their own. So you can look up Sam Harris. He's an avowed atheist. He has a YouTube channel and an app all filled with guided meditation. So it's an interesting development um, as we think about this particular practice. The question is, what's going on here in this trend? So the vast majority of the meditation, when people talk about meditation in our culture, it's a reference to a set of practices that really have their roots in Eastern, uh, Eastern religions, Eastern thought, and then New Age practices, which are kind of drawing on them. And atheists like Sam Harris, who are beginning to uh, engage in the practice, are doing so because um, there is some science that says that there are some certain um, health benefits and things like that for certain practices. Now, I looked at the science. It seems like there's some contradictory things, and it depends on 
who you're talking to and what meditative practice you're looking at, but we don't have a whole lot of time to, to focus there. Just to place in your mind that this isn't like a uh, fully conclusive avalanche of evidence saying that this is a, a great thing. But here is kind of at the heart of um, the teaching that's becoming popular, the heart of um, this idea of meditation. So it's kind of an eclectic set of ideas, and it depends on what meditative practice. But here are a few. We should empty ourselves of thought. We should detach from certain emotions. We should transcend outside of ourselves, and we should create reality by visualizing it in our mind. And as I was reflecting on that, I don't know if you guys noticed kind of a common thread. The thing that I noticed was that the thing that most of these um, practices have in common is the idea of avoidance. So avoiding our thoughts and emotions, avoiding our individuality, avoiding our reality. Now, these practices aren't entirely off base. There is a sense in which we should be able to kind of rid ourselves of negative thoughts and emotions. There is a sense in which we should focus outside of ourselves. Um, but I, and I, I kind of suspect that this is the reason why we are seeing some of the science endorsing certain meditative practices. But here's the issue. As we reflect on kind of the popular perception of what meditation is, these meditative practices might be effective in identifying some of our issues, um, negative thoughts and emotions. We would say sinful thoughts and emotions, not negative thoughts and emotions. But um, the issue is that um, they are not effective in ultimately removing these negative thoughts and emotions. And here's why. It simply does not work to get rid of certain thoughts and emotions by avoiding them, right? You can't avoid them away. Uh, you can't run from them. They will continue to stay there. They will remain. Um, the only way to remove these thoughts and these emotions is to drive them out with new thoughts and emotions. That's the only way um, to, to change your thought process in, in your mind. You have to drive out old thoughts with new thoughts. Now, the reason why these meditative practices are unable to do this, the reason why they're unable to drive out old thoughts with new thoughts is because these practices are, are rooted in worldviews that do not believe in objective truth. And if you have no objective truth, then you have no new idea to push out with the old. And so that leaves you in this continual process where you avoid, and then you avoid, and then you avoid some more, and you continue to avoid. So it's this practice of avoiding the, the thoughts and emotions and challenges of your life and going somewhere else. In contrast, the meditation that we're concerned with this morning, the meditation that we're looking at, it confronts. It meets you where, you at, where you're at, it challenges you, it confronts you, it, it forces you to put away your old thoughts and practices and take on new ones with the truth of God. So very different. We don't avoid, we get confronted. Um, and, and we get confronted with the substance of God's truth. So scripture gives us three broad categories. As we look at scripture and we look at what people are meditating on, we see three broad categories here. So if you're taking notes, um, this is the, the first one. First, God's words. So the number one thing in terms of repetition through the scriptures that we see being reflected on is God's words. So 
That includes things like God's promises, God's law, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's ordinances. The words go on and on, but the things that God has spoken to his people, we are called to reflect on. Second, we're called to meditate on God's works. So specifically the works that God has done for his people. Um, So we can see that in uh, passages like Psalm 77. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then it goes to kind of describe what these mighty deeds are. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And so you see the focus here on the redemptive work of God in history to save his people through people like Jacob and Joseph, and so on. So we reflect on God's mighty deeds recorded in the history of his, of his people. And then third, we are called to meditate on God's nature. So Psalm 145 says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. So we are called to meditate on the glorious splendor of God's majesty. So we have God's words, his works, his nature. That should be our focus. Now, if you recall last week, we talked a lot about how to study the scripture, and um, we ended up spending a decent amount of time talking about how all of the scriptures point to Jesus. And so, in our meditations, as we reflect on God's words, on his works, on his nature, we should be asking the question, how are these things fully manifested in the person of Jesus? And Colossians uh, 3 Uh, helps us clarify this. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we see the transformation of, of meditation in light of Christ. We are to set our mind on Jesus and where he is at and what he is doing. And so um, the Christian meditation becomes honed in on uh, Christ's work, Christ's words, Christ's nature. Now this leads us to our second question this morning. Um, We know what meditation is. The question is, what happens to us when we meditate? Or put another way, what are the fruits of meditation? So the answer is that while we read and we study and we hear the Bible preached on Sunday, um, that plants the seed of God's word into our hearts. But meditation is like applying sun and nutrients in water so that that word in our heart springs forth out of us and begins to bear fruit. And so meditation is um, that process of bringing forth the word of God in our lives. Listen to how someone describes this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, if you guys remember, that's a conjunction from last week as we were doing our our studying. So, in contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then this describes what happens when you do that. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does 
he prospers. See, the person who meditates on the word of God brings forth fruitfulness in their life. I love this imagery as, as we think about this, as um, we are like a tree, um, you know, drawing from God's word. I, I imagine kind of us sending down our roots into the truths of God, grabbing onto the sustenance of, of God's word, drawing from it day and night so that we bring it into us, so that we begin to embody it, and so that we begin to display it, um, so that it comes out of us in, in all that we do. That's what this passage is, is getting at. That's what it means when it says we'll be fruitful and that we will prosper. Not that things are going to go our way. That's not the promise here. But as we are fruitful and, and prosperous, what happens is we become more like Christ, right? As we become more like Christ, we begin to bear his fruit, and we, become, uh, we begin to become a, a blessing to others and an honor to him. And so that's this process that we see here in Psalm 1. So the question is, what does this fruitfulness look like? What does it look like as we begin to meditate on God's word? So we're told three things in scripture. First, the fruit of meditation brings worship. So Psalm 19 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So as we reflect on the words of God, um, we are doing this as an act of worship towards God. Psalm 104 also says, May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. So the fruit of meditation is an act of worship, being oriented towards God and worship. Second, the fruit of meditation brings obedience. So we see in Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 40 similarly says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your law is within my heart. And so as we take in the word of God, it begins to transform the way that we act um, towards God and towards others. And then last, the fruit of meditation brings wisdom and it brings understanding. So Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And this is a, a very powerful line. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For your testimonies are my meditation. So as we meditate on God's word, we become more and more like Jesus. We begin to bear his fruit of obedience and worship and wisdom and understanding. We begin to look more like Jesus as we reflect on him. Now, this leads us to our last question. That is, how do we meditate? So there's a lot here. Um, let's start with the content. So the content of our meditation is, of course, God himself, right? God's words, God's works, God's nature. That is the content. But the question is, Scripture is, you know, when we look at our Bible, it's, it's really big, 1,000 pages or so. And on each of those pages, lots of verses. And so the question is, how do we come to meditate on a particular verse or phrase? Um, now, there's three strategies here. First, you can select from the sermon. So following a sermon on Sunday, maybe God was speaking to you through a particular verse or through a particular passage. Um, what you can do is you can follow up throughout that week and focus on that word. Meditate on it, reflect on it, and allow that word to take root in your heart. Now, the benefit of this is that um, 
that word has already been explained to you, right? So a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of explanation has already been done. So you don't need to worry as much about taking that verse out of context. Um, you get to uh, kind of experience the fullness of the study through the sermon, and then you get to follow up in meditation. Second, you can select from your daily reading. So as you're reflecting on the scriptures, you're reading through them throughout your day, uh, maybe you come across a particular verse that you believe God is speaking to you through or that you're drawing uh, your attention to. Um, meditate on that. Now, the benefit of that strategy is you're already in the scriptures, right? So as you're reading through, maybe you see something, just focus in on that. And my encouragement to you is if you feel like you have to read all four or five chapters of your Bible reading plan that day, don't worry about it. Focus on that word. The reason why is because as we spend time in Scripture, it's more important that we hear from God than that we check boxes. And if it's very clear that God is speaking to you through a particular passage or verse, meditate on it. Catch up later. Figure out the logistics later. But hear from God in his word if, if he's drawing your attention to something. And then last, strategy three. So select for your season or circumstance. If you are going through a particular season of life that you know the scripture speaks to or a particular circumstance that you know the scripture speaks to, meditate on that. Now, you want to be careful because you don't want to just pull Bible verses out of nowhere and start applying them to your life. You need to be careful that you don't do that. Um, but the benefit of this is God has already spoken to your situation or circumstance. And so you can meditate on that word and allow it to shape your heart in the midst of that circumstance. So for example... If you're struggling with anxiety, you might go to Isaiah. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So you can meditate on that as you're struggling with anxiety. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. So God's word encourages us in Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. Of need. So God's word speaks to our confidence before him. And if you're struggling with doubt, meditate on, on that. Now, a final note is that as you're picking scripture, shorter is always better. We're going for depth here, not breadth. So it could just even be a phrase or a couple words. Don't get distracted by, by all the details. Try to narrow in. Now, what about deciding when to meditate? So in one sense... Um, as we reflect on scripture, we're actually called to meditate on scripture all the time. So if you recall what Psalm 1 says, it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so we see that there is this calling for us to constantly be reflecting on God's words throughout the fullness of our day. Now, with that being said, um, it's very difficult uh, circumstantially for all of us to give undivided attention to God's word both day and night, right? A lot of us have lots of responsibilities. Many of us have kids, grandkids, and so on. And so um, this is not to add a burden to you, um, but the encouragement is to find a time in your day or maybe even once a week where you can meditate on God's word just with undivided attention. Now, I personally enjoy reflecting on God's words in the evening. The reason why is my mind is all over the place during the day. I kind of come into focus towards the night and I'm able to narrow in on God's word and I'm able to reflect on my day in light of the scriptures. 
but I know others who very strongly advocate for you got to do it in the morning. Um, so um, the benefit of doing it in the morning is that you can frame your day in light of God's truth. And so um, either one I, th- I think is helpful. Uh, maybe it could also be a lunch or something like that at work if you have a little bit of downtime. Um, but it's just going to take time to figure out both what works for you in terms of your personality and also your season of life. If you have young kids, it's hard to beat them and get up earlier than them to meditate. So it just kind of depends where you're at um, in life. Now, what about deciding how long to meditate? Um, Now, there's no hard and fast rule here. Um, We are not trying to add rules to our life and and meet or make expectations that we cannot meet. Um, But I love this imagery. Donald Whitney kind of describes what meditation is like. And so he says this. It's a little bit longer of a quote here. Um, but see if you can follow along. It says, hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. Reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating its effect. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish-brown. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain, and I would add, in the heart. When we meditate on scripture, it colors our thinking about God, about God's ways and his world, about ourselves. Similarly, as the tea bag flavors the water, so through meditation, we consistently taste or experience the reality taught in the text. The information on the page becomes experience in our hearts, in our minds, and lives. And so the goal, again, of meditation, um, to spend time in the Word so that it transforms us, so that we are soaked in it, so that the information on the page is no longer information, but it is something that is driven home to our hearts. So with that metaphor in mind, we'll, we'll come back to that question of how long. Um, well, again, we don't want to be legalistic in our habits, but the fact of the matter is, uh, if this metaphor is you know, apt, an apt description of meditation, then it's going to take time to steep, right? It takes time to steep and to allow God's word to transform you, to color you, and to add the flavor of God's word uh, to your life. Um, so that's something that we have to, to work out. Now, as a culture, we, I think, have really lost this ability to practice meditation and uh, reflection. As a culture, we are not particularly deep people in the sense of reflective people, right? We're constantly distracted. We're constantly looking towards that next shiny thing or the next thing to watch or do. Um, So much so that um, it is kind of a noted trend that the American attention span has actually been declining, right? It is uh, declining. Um, In fact, there are content creators, so people who are putting content out, music, media, all that sort of thing. And they are actually having to shape the way that they generate content now because of this decline in focus. They have to make shorter articles. Songs are getting shorter and more repetitious. Um, and then, you know, there's commercials. I recently was, um, 
I guess this is an a, a indictment against me, but I was both watching a baseball game on in the background and had headphones in, um, and a commercial came up. And in that commercial, I just noticed like every second there was a change of, of scenery, a change of frame constantly. And I was like, wow. I mean, if uh, a frame cannot take someone's attention for more than one or two seconds, we have a problem. And so um, similarly, there was actually a commercial this is a new thing where you insert a six-second commercial into the middle of like a sports game. So a pitcher between pitches, they shove a commercial right in there to get your attention. And it's only six seconds because that's what people are estimating our attention span is these days. So they're just wedging it in there, you know, to get our attention really quickly. Um, but that is not helpful for, um, you know, especially us as, as God's people. I think in this time that we find ourselves, if we are going to be any help to other people, um, we are going to need to be deep people. We are going to need to be people who are deeply rooted in God's word and his works and his nature. And we need to meditate on that in such a way that it takes root in us so that we can offer something to other people. I think that's the only way that we're going to get at a distracted, shallow culture is to be different, to be deep. And again, that's just going to take uh, time. And so we have to individually figure out what that looks like for us. Again, all of us have different responsibilities. Um, so, you know, nursing mother is not going to be able to do this on the same level that, um, you know, maybe a single person uh, is able to do it. So we're, we're in different seasons of life. But what about deciding where to meditate? Well, the first mention of meditation is actually in Genesis, so it comes up pretty quickly in the Bible. And there it says, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. So you have Isaac going out into the field by himself. And then similarly, we see this pattern in Jesus' life over and over again. We see Jesus going out into what's called a desolate place or a lonely place. We see that at least nine times I was able to count, but probably more than that even. Um, but in contrast, we look at David, and David says in Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And so we have you know, Isaac going out into the field by himself, Jesus going into a lonely or desolate place, sometimes the mountains are away from others, and then we have David laying on his Bed. And so the goal is not so much outside or inside. The goal is find a place where you're undistracted, right? Where you're alone, where you can meditate and focus on the words of God so that that is the only voice that you are hearing um, with uh, undivided attention. Okay, and then last, what about method for meditation? Now, as I was reading uh, through Donald Whitney's book, I'm not sure if any of you have been able to pick it up, it was a little daunting. I think he gave 17 different options, if I remember correctly. So it was you know, just a whole slew of different things. Um, and it is true that there are many different ways to kind of meditate or focus on, on Scripture. There's a number of ways to do this. Um, and I, I think it also, again, depends on your preference, and it also depends on the text, right? You're going to focus on a one-line proverb much different than you're going to focus on you know, a book in the historic, or a chapter in the historical books of the Old Testament. So you kind of have to figure out both your own personality and kind of what is more conducive to pulling out meaning in a, a particular context. But what we're going to do is we're going to keep things simple. We're going to really briefly look at five different methods. Um, now, I want you guys to really pay attention to this. 
Um, write down all five if you can, um, if not just the, the heading or the title of them. And the reason why is because after the sermon, we're actually going to have a little bit of time to meditate on God's words. We're going to meditate for two or three minutes on Galatians 2.20. But first, we're going to go over these five methods on a, a practice passage. So we're going to look at John 14.6 and just kind of work through them together. So this is what John 14.6 says. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So method number one, we're going to emphasize words one by one. So method number one basically works through a verse or it works through a phrase, generally something much smaller. And as you go through, you kind of just emphasize each word and figure out what is the full effect or full impact of this word being here. If these are really God's words, then every one of them has meaning. What is this one doing here? So we're going to take that verse and make it a little bit, uh, or, or shorten it. We're going to look at I am the way and the truth and the life. We're just going to work through them. So let's start with I. As we reflect on the word I, the reference is Jesus, and Jesus is speaking about himself to you. Now we've already kind of figured out what the, uh, or assuming that we've already kind of figured out what this text means and we've done all of our study on it. And now the question is, how is Jesus speaking to us through it? And so Jesus is saying I in reference to himself, and he's telling you something about himself. Then he says, am. So Jesus is telling about himself. He's saying who he is. He's telling about his nature and his character, something that he wants you personally to know. Otherwise, he would not have said it. The way. Jesus is telling you not only that he is the way to God, but that he is the only way to God. Jesus is saying that to get to God, you must go through Jesus. That's what that way means. What about the truth? Jesus is telling you not only that he speaks the truth, but that he is the truth. If you want to know the truth of God, you must look to Jesus. That's what he is saying about himself. And then last... The life. So Jesus is telling you not only that following him leads to life, but that he is the life, right? That he is life himself. To know Jesus is to have life and to have it abundantly. To know Jesus is to have um, uh, eternal and, and everlasting life. And so that's what Jesus is telling us. And we can see as we meditate on each one of those words, we're able to draw out you know, the riches of, of the meaning of each verse. Method two, draw the verse. So as you work through a verse, maybe draw it out. Um, you can see with John 14, 6, uh, maybe a few ways to draw it. You can signify that Jesus is the way by drawing a road. Um, you might be able to signify that Jesus is the truth by drawing like the scales of justice or something like that. Or to signify um, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, maybe you draw a cross that reaches into the sky. You know, you can be... Really creative with this. Um, now, I personally am not very good at this. I love seeing other people do it. Um, I, I love seeing other people draw out the scriptures and, and um, show others how they have experienced God's word. Again, I'm not very good at this. If you're not good at this, that's totally fine. It's not, a, it's not a standard that you have to hold yourself up to. Method three, map the verse. So method three, you work through a passage or a verse and you map out the logical connections. Now, that's much more my style. I'm all about the logical connections there. So um, 
Mapping out John 14, 6 might look something like this, right? You might place Jesus at the center, and you might have all of these arrows pointing towards Jesus, arrows that say the way and the truth and the life. Or you might be able to map it out by drawing Jesus or writing his name on the bottom and the Father above, and then you can write arrows all over the place. And any arrow that doesn't pass through Jesus first, cross out, right? Any arrow that passes through Jesus to the Father, make big and colorful or or whatever, you can start to kind of see the connection uh, or the meaning of the verses. You uh, see those logical uh, connections there in the text. And then method four, memorize the verse. So one of the benefits of memorizing the verse is that you have it always available in your mind, right? So you can meditate on it in the future. um, And it's also kind of a meditative process as you reflect on it in your uh, memory process. Um, So just as an example, about a month ago, I had a, a pretty bad nightmare, and I woke up, and the first thing that came to mind was, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's a verse that I have committed to memory. And so what I was able to do is immediately start that word-by-word process and just work through you, keep him. And I, I meditated on that as I fell asleep, and it was really helpful that I had that word in my mind. This is also really helpful when we're reaching out to people and explaining our faith to others. It's kind of awkward when you have to pull out your Bible or your phone as you're talking to someone. It's much easier if you just have it there. You're able to communicate to people. Um, Another application would be like spiritual warfare, right? We're told in Ephesians 6 um, that the, um, the word of God is the sword of the spirit, right? And so if we have those words in our mind, we already have those swords ready to be used by the spirit to fight against the enemies. And so it's helpful to have that word fixed in our mind. Okay, last, and then we'll be done here. Ask some application questions. So there's lots of application questions you can ask. The main thing in these application questions is what is being spoken or done to me? I am the intended audience. How do I apply this to my heart? So I'm just kind of following that format before. God's words works nature. And I'm asking a few questions here. So first, you might ask something like, what is Jesus saying to me? What is God's word here? So if we look at this passage, Jesus is saying that if I want to experience the fullness of God, I must experience it in and through him. That's what Jesus is telling me in this verse. What about God's words or or works, what Jesus has done for me? Jesus is telling me in this passage, I could not forge a path to God, right? I could not make a way to God, but God created a way um, to himself through Jesus. Jesus comes and creates a way. And then third, what do I learn about Jesus' nature in this passage? What is being said about who Jesus is? And then in turn, how should I worship him uh, for who he is? So we learn in this passage, Jesus is not a mere man. He's not a teacher. He's not a created thing. He's not a life guru. That's not what he's claiming for himself. He's claiming that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and he is beckoning me to follow him and to worship him in response. So let's pray together.